0: Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you very much, yeah. It is, uh, it does feel a little, well, not a little actually, it feels a lot like home. And uh, a, a lot like home. And the worship was uh, was amazing. Yeah, yeah. 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 And nearly every song was just about Jesus. <laughs> which is really good. He's the person we should be singing about. <laughs> and uh, actually when I, well I, I don't think I've interrupted like that more than four or five times I've been asked to do it so I was at a church recently and they said we've changed the order of the service we're going to do announcements at the beginning offering at the beginning and then it's worship and then it's yours you just go up when you want send them down when you want and uh but only probably four or five times have I have I ever done that and um even at Bethel I, I only went up when I was sent up to be honest except two times and um but when I came up I said uh is it D- Dara, is that how you pronounce your name? I said, to her, do you, do you ever go to Andre Crouch?" you know? Because my wife and I, when we were very, very young children, um, used to go to Andre Crouch concerts, and uh, very, very, very young we were. And uh, every year we would go to the Hammersmith Odeon for, for Andre. And uh, about it's about eight months ago, I started singing in my head an Andre song and uh i i couldn't shake it and then it it felt the same this morning it it wasn't the same song but it was pretty close jesus is the answer andre used to sing for the world today above him there's no other jesus is the way and uh actually is part of what i want to talk about a little bit just a little bit and uh so the worship confirmed that and uh somewhere around about the same time the Lord said to me if you'll read if you read Zechariah I'll give you the keys to a generation I'm a bit nervous about even saying that because it's like I'm sure there are loads of people who are getting keys to a generation but I just started reading Zechariah chapter 4 and then I started playing around with a few thoughts that that are around and so if you can't see that you're welcome to there is any space to move, but um, I'll also explain it. I'll, I'll explain what I'm writing, but I, I just called Steve this morning and said, um, do you have a flip chart? Because I wasn't going to go in this, quite in this direction, but I think it's where I'm meant to go. So we live, we live in, a, in an extraordinary times with, without any shadow of a doubt. These, these are very, very unusual times to be alive. And uh, so I just want to talk about uh, some of that and link it to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, the the first verse, it says, The angel returned to me and and aroused me as a man is awakened from sleep. And there is is a cry at the moment for an awakening. And of course, uh, many of us, and probably nearly all of you, would have, have at least in some way been aware of what happened in Bethel. Um, and, and the tragic circumstances, but which released a cry, which released a, a sound of worship, a cry for an awakening. An awakening, of course, of a little girl, but it, but it has become more than that. And there is, there is something stirring again. And uh, we go to an event in England that we, we went to last year. And one of their catchphrases is, uh, contending for the next awakening. But I think that there are two aspects to an awakening that, are, that I'm aware of at the moment. There is an awakening, of course, to Jesus. And there's no question about that. But there is also an awakening to what is going on in our world. Um, and that it, feels, it feels really important that we get this piece. Because uh, we, we need to be the voice that speaks into the needs of the world. And that we answer the questions that the world is actually asking not just answer questions that we think are good questions. And so let me just very quickly just um, I'm going to run through a, a number of things um, very probably relatively quickly um, and maybe next year between Justin and I we'll have the iPad set up and in your new building it will flash up on a screen and we'll write and it'll, it'll be all beautiful and high tech. But, but until then we'll rely on the Sharpie and the Holy Spirit. Um, and... Uh, I'm probably not in that order. But I don't know whether you've noticed, there are some challenges that, that we face. And when I say this generation, this is our generation, okay? Forget the age thing, this is our generation. In my opinion, a generation is anyone who is breathing oxygen at the same time. So this is our generation, this is our time, this is our moment. And there are some challenges, and they look, they look a little bit like this. And for anyone who knows me, yes, it is a quadrant, and it's the, it, it's, it's the way my mind's wired, but there are four Gospels, four seasons, north, south, east, and west. So, hey, there's a, there is some principles around this and, and patterns. So, um, but but we, we live in a world, and um, this isn't necessarily the biggest one, although I think it has some, um, has some impact on us, and that is the, the globalization world in which we live, which I'll, and it's mostly good, but there are some there are some negative aspects to it, but we can go anywhere. As a generation, we can go where we like. And not every generation has been able to do that. But, so that's not too bad, although I think there are some challenges. Uh, and it does cause some of us to have you know, children and grandchildren on the wrong continent and things like that, which is uh, sometimes a little painful. Um, but let's have a look at some other ones. We've got secularism in our world, which says, I can do what I like. A couple of you realize how scary that is. Let me just very quickly um, just jump into that for a moment. What is secularism? Let me just give you a, a couple of headlines around, around this. Sec- secularism is that people want the kingdom without the king. They want Christianity without Christ. I don't know if you noticed, there are some big-name people who've walked away from church in recent years. They write these nice letters that they put on social media and explain what they're doing. And then they say, oh, but let's keep love, joy, and peace. I'm sorry. You can't have the Christian values without the Christ. It's not an option. It's not available. So we, we, we've, got, we've got some challenges around this. We've got to make sure we put the king back in kingdom, the Christ back in Christianity. This one gets a bit risky, but there are people who believe you can have heaven without an option of there being a hell. Whatever your theological position, there is clearly an alternative in the teachings of Jesus. But there are people who say we can have heaven without hell. No, sorry, my Jesus didn't teach that way. And there's this move, which I, I understand, and I'm not against it, but this move to protect our planet. People want creation without acknowledging that there is a creator. Those four things really start to paint a picture of what secularism is, is doing to us and, of course, creeping in uh, to so many areas of the church. So you've got Christianity without Christ, kingdom without a king, creation without creator, and heaven without Uh, Hell, yes, that was another quadrant. I just, I I can make anything fit a quadrant pretty much. So, and then we've got a social media world, um, which is um, has caused us to have something else that's happened to us, and that is that somewhere we can say what we like. And the the scary part is that what was reserved for uh, social media is actually creeping into people saying it to our faces more and more. I notice what people are doing, like they've, they've kind of lost some of those boundaries. And so we've got, we've got a generation that can go where they like, do what they like, say what they like, and this one, and I'm honestly not blaming one person for this, whatever you may think, um, but the, sorry, fake news aspect of life. I'm really not blaming one person, it's all over the place. There are people who tell me the Holocaust didn't happen. What? There are people who say Sandy Hook didn't happen. What? I know people who were there. There are people who have radio shows that that chuck this stuff around, so we end up with a generation that can believe what it likes. And I'm not trying to be negative about this because it's all right at the end. I will put him back in the middle because Jesus is the answer. And that's, that's not just shallow words. So this is a world that we found ourselves in and there's a wake up. There is a wake-up. There is an awakening. An awakening to Jesus, but an awakening to what's happening in the world. I don't know how you feel, but I do feel as though I went to sleep for a few years, and all of a sudden, you know, we jumped not just from some questions about gender, but insanity about gender being acceptable. Where were we? Did we go to sleep? We need to make sure we never go to sleep again on on that. And I I do believe that there is going to be a turnaround. Let me just jump into, they're not directly uh, related, um, but let me, ju- oh, um, let, me, let me just jump in. Sorry, what was that? I was just wondering which way I was going to go. Yep, it is another quadrant. I can do threes, fives, sevens, eights, nines as well. I can do them. It's all right. Um, but you see, we've also got some stuff going on, and I think the two things are related. Here's, here's some issues, some challenges that people are facing Here's a very interesting one. We've got people suffering from choice anxiety. They're afraid of making choices. And the reason why they're afraid of making choices is they're afraid of making the wrong choice. Well, I have news for you. If you know Jesus, you can't. And even if you did, he's so good that he'll make it look like it was okay. Because he's Redeemer. That's his name. He redeems everything we do. So we have a generation, I would suggest, uh, who suffer from choice anxiety. Why? Because there's so many choices. I mean, when I was at school, it felt like there were 12 university courses I could go to and a couple of professions I could study for. You know, basically law, medicine, and anything you teach in school. That's what it felt like. Now you can study Michael Jackson's clothes, if you like, and probably get a PhD for it. You know, and I've got nothing against Michael Jackson. I, I kind of would like to understand a little bit more about his music. But you can study anything. There's so many choices, and here's what happens with choice anxiety: we end up with a generation that are paralysed, stuck. What do I do? And uh, I'll come back to that in a minute. Administering to it. We've also got commitment phobia. We really do. People are afraid of making a commitment. I, I meet people who are afraid of making a commitment, you know, in marriage. It's like, you know, maybe a better girl will come along. No, that's not the way that we're meant to think about this stuff. And, and what commitment phobia causes is people to keep running from one thing to the next. I mean, I really did meet somebody the other day. And, you know, I'm not going to give any names, ages or whatever. But, you know, I think they had been to Irish school. YWAM, Toronto, and Bethel, and they were looking at me and saying, I'm thinking of going to this one next. I'm like, I think it's about time you actually committed to do something. Like, you know, I don't know how you have the money to keep doing all that stuff, to be honest anyway, but, but we've got a commitment phobia. We've got this thing, oh, there'll probably be something better that comes along afterwards, you know? And, and so we've got people who, are, who find themselves running. I can't draw an exact link to those four but I can take all four of those and pour them into here and say that this is the effect of that world on us as individuals. And then, you know, a couple of a couple of other ones here, we've got a, a loss of purpose. And it's, I think that some of this is that it seems that there are people who are able to do such big things that if My little contribution to planet Earth somehow doesn't seem enough. And, you know, even some of our most successful, well-known people up there, the A-listers we would probably call them, but we sometimes read the news the next day and find that they died in a New York apartment and they killed themselves, took their own life. And it's like they, they obviously hadn't been able to connect their success to a sense of purpose on the planet. And there are definitely, you know... The Heath Ledgers, they're the ones that end up breaking my family's heart. We, we, we always somehow text each other whenever any that sort of news is out there. The Robin Williams, you know, are those scenarios. And uh, so it's not just us that suffers from this. But, but that loss of purpose is causing um, a sort of a, sorry, I wrote that wrong, a low-grade anxiety, um, self-harm. It's in there. And I don't know whether you've noticed that's on the rise. You know, depression, low-grade anxiety, self-harm, mental I- illness issues. They're, that's on the rise because there's so many people living with that, you know, there's something just hovering behind me, a low-grade anxiety, a depression, a, a loss of purpose. And, and then finally, this is kind of fun one, but I didn't even know this was a thing until recently. Um, but it really is FOMO, fear of missing out. When I was a kid, FOMO meant I was sick when my best friend had a birthday party and I missed his birthday party. That was about as far as that extended. Now it's actually a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of behaving. And, and that definitely linked to social media. But this is causing people to live a life, to present a, a, a persona of themselves that is just not the truth. So, so we've got these big issues in a generation and we've got these challenges that are facing a generation and, and I will come back and we'll, we're going to minister into this. What I want to do just for a moment though is to run through uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 4 and just pull a few things out of there if I may and then we'll come back and we'll, and we'll minister. Uh, because I, I don't want to leave you here. I don't want to leave you with choice anxiety, commitment phobia... Something fall down. No. All right. Choice, anxiety, commitment, phobia, loss of purpose, fear of missing out. Is that okay? And you could, I mean, it would mess up my quadrant, but you could put YOLO in there if you want to. You all know what that is, don't you? You only live once. So it's, and actually, when you start linking these things together, you can see the connections. You can see globalization. I only live once. I mean, I knew that there were the northern lights when I was a kid, but now it's kind of like, I've got to see the northern lights. It's that kind of a thing. And, and my understanding actually is that the, um, the younger generation in this room, the sort of the, um, the under 30s, you can't talk about millennials anymore because they're becoming grandparents, the millennials. <laughs> I mean, we, they really are. We haven't worked out what they are yet. We haven't worked out how to work with them. We haven't understood how they think. And yet, what we've now discovered is that they're becoming grandparents. And there are probably two more of those type of generations rising up behind them. But, but the ones that, that are a little bit you know, younger in the room, you will pay two for one to the ones that are older in this room for an experience. You will. You'll pay twice as much as I will for an experience. Now, I've shifted on that because I just have, but, you know, like, I am willing to pay some money to go to crazy music concerts and things like that, especially if I get to do it with my son who's 36, so, you know, he's in that category. But actually, by and large, that is a part of the way that we, we operate as a, in, in our world. So because you've got the You Only Live Once, the fear of missing out, you know? I mean, we do have tickets for Elton John's concert in the O2 at the end of this year, which... It's December the 17th, and I don't think there's room for another concert, so, but he was sick last night, which is a bit worrying, but we have taken out insurance on it, but, but there, is this, there is this mindset that I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss whatever that is. Does that make sense? So, let's have a look at uh, Zechariah, chapter 4, and... Uh doesn't like my face in here for some reason. It's not recognizing me. What's up with that? It begins with, then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who was, uh, who was awakened from sleep. I just want to encourage you. There are two awakenings happening. There is an awakening to the needs of the world. There is an awakening to the power that is Jesus Christ. And actually, the chapter before, chapter 3, fascinating, is that it prophesies the branch. The branch is coming. And actually, the branch... Is, is, of course, is Jesus, but actually Nazareth means the branch, the beauty, the stunning, incredible intrigue, the, the complexity of, of our scripture, of our faith, of the word of God. That Zechariah prophesies a branch is coming and Jesus comes, the Nazarene, who, which means the branch. And so Zechariah chapter 3 prophesies the answer, which Zechariah chapter 4 starts talking about. And then there's this, uh, and I'm not going to read it all, but it, there's this weird picture of bowls and lamps and lampstands and stuff going on, and, and, and the question is, you know, what, what is that to the angel? And the angel sort of says, well, don't you know? It's like, no, that's why I asked you, because it's really complex. It really is difficult to understand. And, and there isn't, I think there is a message in here, which, which I believe is key, and I, it, really, every one of these is a preach, so just forgive me for running through. But there is a message in here, and that is, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see when you look at this world? What do you see when you look at the circumstances of this world? I think Sue, more than me, uh, you know, although we're both in it together, but people will say, you know, oh, you know, the UK and Brexit, oh, isn't that terrible what we're doing? It's like, don't you believe in Jesus? Like some of our Christian friends, some of the stuff they're writing... On, on social media about, it's like, no, we're not worried about that. Or people say to me, you moved, back, you moved back for Europe, didn't you? And now you're not part of Europe. No, no, that's not true. I am a European. Like there are seven continents, as I understand it. Yeah, I am, I am not from Antarctica. That's pretty clear. I'm not from South America. I'm not from North America. I, I'm not from Australasia. I'm not from Africa. I'm not from Asia. That leaves Europe. I'm a European. I'm not interested in, in Brexit either way in this terms. I'm a British European, and I moved back to Europe to see Europe in revival. So I don't have a fear about that. So what do you see? That, comes. So there's an awakening. Wake up. Now what do you see? What do you see now you've woken up? You see, yes, there are challenges in the world, but you should be seeing Jesus parallel to that see I think too often what we've done is we we've separated things let me give you a, a very quick thing that I recently started playing around with um, I might have been doing a little bit of it before last year because I can almost see myself in in the school talking about this but the last hundred years on the west coast of America you can list about eight to ten major revivals moves of God whatever you want to call them you've got Azusa you've got um, you've you got um, Foursquare, you've got John Wimber, you've got Jesus People Movement. I'll put Bill Johnson in there. You've got Portland, you've got John G. Lake. Last hundred years, but the same period of time, on that same piece of land, you have got what? Google, Apple, Hewlett-Packard, Boeing, Nike, Tesla, the list goes on. Two lists that we've kept separate that should not be separated. Because the one needs the other, and the other needs that one. So what do you see? So what do you see? If, if, if God starts to really stir things up in this country, I'm expecting people to see God stirring things up and impact in the entrepreneurial world, the world of science, etc., etc. You can't have one without the other. What do you see? Uh, and then, uh, which is linked to it, but is how do you see? But here's this... Incredible statement that after explaining, you know, what the lampstands and the bowls mean, the angel says, Well, it's obvious what that means. Didn't you see it? It means, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Yeah, I would have got that in about 300 years, maybe. But there's the message Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm not saying that we don't play a part, but we have got to stop thinking that we can make it happen. Now, we need to do our part. We definitely need to do our part. But it's not by our might, not by our power, not by our strategy, not by our cleverness. It is by my spirit. And many people for a long time have been quoting Smith Wigglesworth and saying Smith Wigglesworth's third prophecy was the marriage of the word and the spirit. And it's time. It is time that we're not even having to mention that, but we can live that out. And, you know, when people say to me, a lot of people talk to me about Bethel. Obviously, it's my, my house, my family. I'm on the senior team there. I, it, it's, it's family till, till I go up there, and it still will be when I get up there. Um, they say, why does it work? Why does it work? And I say, it's a work of God. Don't work it out. Because if you try and work it out, you won't work it out. Because I've tried, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Have you tried to get to Reading lately? It doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't. I, I know some of the flaws. I, I know some of the stuff. I, I've sat and listened to the prophetic word that said that Reading will be a center for technology, a center for, for movies and drama and stuff like that. And I, and I remember hearing it and thinking, you've got to be kidding. Come on. Come on. Come on, prophet. You know, work a little bit harder. It's now a top 10 school of technology. Has a conservatory of the arts, which is led by somebody who is active in the, in the industry. And is, you know, has got shows on Netflix that he's filming at the same time as teaching in the conservatory. I've watched those prophetic words. i watched them emerge. Probably one of my favorite things to do about Bethel is to go, wow, I remember that word being given. And now it's happening. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I want to just encourage you with that. and I am struggling with this iPad for some reason. Oh, there we are. You're back. That's good. And then I won't spend too long on it, but just note, in verse um, 7, it says... What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. I just want to challenge you to make sure you realize how much grace there is in the Old Testament. There is a lot more grace in the Old Testament than we give the Old Testament credit for. There are a lot more. There's actually a little bit more law in the New Testament than we might want there to be as well. But there is more grace. But here's the thing. When I was studying this, and there's... There's so much in, in Zechariah, but one of the um, sort of the ways of defining the name Zerubbabel was this: the disperser of confusion. That's stunning, isn't it? The disperser of confusion, and not only that. If you look at the language, what we see is: What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And he will bring forth the top stone. That's prophetic of John the Baptist. John the Baptist who said that, that the rough ways will be made smooth. That, that, that this is prophetic of the future. And, and so what we got is Zerubbabel, dispersion of confusion. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that some of the stuff that I've been draw, drawing up on here? Isn't there confusion? We need that to end. And I believe that God is raising up a generation who will have the courage, and I'm going to show you a piece of that in a moment, the courage to stand up and say, let's end this confusion. Because there is insanity going on and it needs to end. And then we see this incredible picture carries on. Word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation in this house which is coming very soon, actually. Their foundation is being laid very soon in this house. I'll prophesy that over you out of the Bible just to make you feel better. And his hands will finish it. That's good as well, Steve. You can have the whole of that. His hands will finish it. But here's the thing. You in America, us in Europe, the foundation has been laid. We have the most incredible foundations of, of the gospel, of revival, of reformation, we have the foundation, it's been laid, you see you can look right now and go, oh it's a bit confusing, it's a bit messy, but, but if you will actually just stop long enough, and look at the foundation, I challenge you this, take any country in Europe, just choose one country in Europe, go home and Google, or whatever search engine you like to use, Google revivalist or reformer in that nation, you'll find one You'll find great men and women who go back 100, 200, 300 years. And the same is true here. Probably not the 300 years, but 100 and 200 years. You will find the foundation has been laid. You see, we're we're concerned about what's going on. And what we need to do is to realize, no, we stand on a foundation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Yeah. I wish I could sing like you, uh, Dara. It would make preaching so much easier. <laughs> the foundation's been laid. I just want to encourage you, the foundation's been laid. There's no question about it. But then what we go on to see is, is this. It says, who has despised the day of small things? I I love it when you read a chapter and you realize that some of your favorite phrases are all wrapped up in there. Who has despised the day of small things? That's a good word for you as well, Steve. I'm giving you some good stuff here and I wasn't even planning on it. I wasn't even trying. But this is what it says. But these seven, what are the seven? They are the eyes of the Lord. These seven will be glad when they see the plumb line Uh, Somebody gave me one. I haven't traveled with it yet. I I probably should start traveling with it. These seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. What's a plumb line? Well, it determines true vertical. And a plumb line is only possible because of creation. It's impossible without creation. God created gravity, which ultimately gave us the plumb line. But what do you use a plumb line for? The foundation's been laid. You use a spirit level for the foundation, yeah? I'm not a builder, but I know enough. Which is interesting that it's called a spirit level, but I'm not going to try and play with that too much. But the foundation is a spirit level, but the vertical's a plumb line. You can't go up without the plumb line. But you can't build unless there's a foundation. So you have to have a foundation, but we're going to build up. And the plumb line is in the hand of Zerubbabel, and God is happy. God gets happy. I, I, probably there's a long list that I could give you. But what does the plumb line represent? I think the plumb line represents the end of confusion. I think that the plumb line represents that we're going to wake up recognize the problems in the world, recognize the power that is Jesus. We are gonna realize it's not by work, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And we are not gonna be put off that we're starting, as it were, in a new way. We're gonna stand on the foundation and we're gonna hold a plumb line and we're gonna say, let's put some things back in place. What are those things? One of them, one of the biggest ones in recent years has been relationships. We've been sorting out our relationships with each other and with the Father so that we can be healthy sons and daughters who get on with the business. That's really, really important. I believe that's a huge piece of it. I believe also that one of the aspects of the plumb line is truth. I believe that the characteristic of the Holy Spirit that we probably most need today is the Spirit of truth. That's His name. We need truth back in place because we got a bunch of lies that are dominating our lives that says you can go where you like, do what you like, believe what you like and say what you like. That's not true. You can't. You can't. There are principles in our lives that are eternal principles. You can't do what you like, go where you like, say what you like, believe what you like. There are actually principles by which this earth was made. They were put in place at creation, the same as gravity was put in place, so principles were put in place. Plumb lines of the natural and plumb lines of the spiritual. We are seeing the relational plumb line put back in place. We're seeing the truth plumb line put back in place. I also want to suggest to you that another plumb line is the plumb line of assignment. I believe that the plumb line of heaven's assignment is being put back in place. I, I'm, I'm biased because I'm Bethel, as I've told you, and there's nothing I can do about it, but so are you, so don't look at me. But, but Bill's clear plumb line is heaven on earth. There's the plumb line. If you're looking for an assignment, if you're looking because you're struggling with loss of purpose, your purpose is on earth as it is in heaven. And not only that, but you see many people are waiting for somebody like a visiting speaker to lay hands on you and say, you're sent. Or waiting for Steve to send you to do something. Stop waiting and realize you already got sent. Jesus sent you. He did. John 17 verse 18. As the Father sent me, so I send you. If you're waiting for Steve to lay hands on you, you are settling for, a a, a, you know, no criticism, but a second class sending. Because you got the first class sending from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of all. We are the sent ones. He's putting assignment back in place. And I'm fine with Steve sending you, but don't wait for him. Because if you haven't got sent on the inside by Jesus, it doesn't matter how big the man on earth is that sends you. You got sent by the man of God, the son of God. But if you haven't sorted out on the inside, it doesn't matter who sends you. You will still be looking for something else. He's putting plumb lines back in place of truth. He's putting the plumb line back in place of relationship. He's putting the plumb line back of assignment. But I believe with all my heart that he is putting the plumb line of power back in place. And, and Sue and I were recently with a, with a man in England. Uh, he heads up a very um, uh, a unity-based movement. And, and we were talking a lot. We were talking about the challenges that he faces. Uh, I believe one of the great challenges of Christian leaders today is that we, we learn how to be... The American phrase is as vanilla as possible. In other words, we appeal to everybody, but we don't compromise what we believe. I believe it's one of the greatest challenges that we face as Christian leaders. How can I appeal to everybody? How how can I draw everybody in? How can I develop a true unity movement? How can I walk hand in hand with brothers and sisters across this great city of Atlanta and yet not compromise what I believe? And, and, and we were meeting with him and he said, Paul, he said, he said, the UK, we, we have the word, we've been good at the word, we've taught the word, we've studied the word, we're good at the word, we've raised up some of the best theologians, we're good at that stuff. We're good at works, he said, every church in this country, if you go visit a church in this country, it will be doing some social action stuff, it'll be taking care of the needs of the poor. But he said, but we don't have the wonders. And I kind of felt like he was looking at me. His wife Loves Bethel. He, he, he loves Bethel too. But in his position, he's, he's just been a little cautious. Bill wise, I should say, not cautious. And I did feel he was looking. He was looking like, if you're going to bring something back from Bethel, make sure it includes the wonders, was what I heard from him. Make sure it includes that. He's putting the plumb line back in place. I believe. And then it goes to this stunning we have another little dialogue there's a couple of things still in that picture you haven't explained mr angel and uh you know what are these two olive trees on the right and i answered the second time and said what do they mean and the angel said don't you know no that's why i asked do we have to go through this thing again and then he says these are the two anointed ones standing by the lord of the whole earth And if you look at what that phrase means, the two anointed ones, it actually means this, the sons of fresh oil. And I I get excited about this. I think that's what we need right now. We We need the sons of fresh oil. We need a fresh outpouring to take that which we know. Notice it's not the Lord of the church. It's the Lord of the whole earth. Standing by the Lord of the whole earth are the sons of fresh oil, of fresh anointing. And I believe... That he is commissioning us for, for another time. You see, we woke up to the needs of the world. We woke up to the power that is Jesus. We go through a sequence of realizing, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We see that we have the great foundation. We recognize he's putting the plumb line back in our hands. We don't despise the day of small beginnings and we stand and say, come on, I want a fresh outpouring for what you asked us to do. I want the fresh oil. I, honestly, I've been saying just recently, I think Sue and I had this conversation. I, I, I am believing that God would give me as the, the same breakthrough in cancer that I've seen in infertility. I want that. I don't want to lose. I'm not saying infertility is not important. It's way up there. It's original design. But I want that enemy of cancer. I want that to go. I want to see that just in the same way that we've seen infertility. Yeah. That was a quick, Run into Zechariah, but here's what I want to do. I just want to. I want to minister back into this because if we are really, if we are going to raise up a generation, then we've got to deal with that running thing. We've got to deal with that paralyzed thing. We've got to deal with that low-grade anxiety thing, and we've got to deal with that living a lie the fear of missing out. Does that make sense? Now I know I've chucked a load at you, but you get 45 minutes once a year, so I just hit you with it, okay? And you can go away and go, that bit was for me, great. If you've got one line, I'm good. And of course, the absolute answer in the middle here is the song by Andre Crouch, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer to this. Let me just quickly go through this with you. And I want to minister to you as I do, if that's okay. You see, commitment phobia. This fear of commitment. The answers in the Bible, it's in Psalms, it's in Proverbs. Commit your ways unto the Lord. And he may, should, could, no, he will. He will direct your paths. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and he will direct your steps. The answer to commitment phobia is commitment. Commit our ways to Jesus. And I just want to invite you, if that commitment thing, if you, if you can feel a pattern in your life that you have been shying away from commitments and you've been running a little bit from one thing to the next, I want to invite you to stand. Stand. That's how you feel. As I mentioned that, you thought, yeah, that's me. I feel like I keep on moving from one thing to the next. It doesn't have to be huge, great things. It doesn't have to involve sin. It's just a pattern. And and I just want to say this morning, it's time for you to stand still in one place and say, I've committed my ways to the Lord. You might even want to write down this date in, in your whatever, iPad, calendar, diary, whatever you write on, Bibles. You might want to write down this day. Say, that was the day I did it. Bible says your steps are ordered by the Lord I love that I think sometimes we get put off because it feels like we were expecting this your steps are ordered by the Lord they're nice and neat and tidy they're all the same distance apart you know your steps are ordered by the Lord but sometimes they're a dance I can't dance very well but you get the general idea sometimes they're a dance And if you commit your ways to the Lord, it means that you get to dance with him. You get to walk with him. It doesn't matter whether one step's like that or it feels like one step's backwards. If you commit your ways to the Lord, he will. He will direct your paths. Father, I pray right now today that you would end running. You would end going from one to the next, one job to the next, even one house to the next, even one city, even one church to the next. You would end it today and today would be a day that everyone standing can say, that's the day. I committed my ways unto you this day. End the running. And may this be a day of complete commitment to you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. It it might seem similar, but it isn't. But choice anxiety is more, there's so many choices. So many choices. You end up afraid of making a choice. So you don't choose one because you're afraid of making the wrong choice. And my life experience is, you can't. If you're walking with him, even if you do, he'll jump in. My little tagline of my life probably, he wastes nothing. He gets you ready. He won't waste your choices. He just won't. It's nature. And I go to to, uh, Joshua for this. And there's a verse there in Joshua and it says, Choose you this day who you will serve. Choose you this day. Make a choice. I I chose my wife, I I think pretty much February the 2nd on our first date, 1974. Oops, we were two, sorry. Gave away our age there. We were very, very young when we met. Even younger than Chris and Kathy. Um, But I chose her. All other choices fell into line with that choice other than obviously following Jesus but when you make the absolute choice one choice all other choices begin to line up a lot of the time is that people are uh, their anxiety means that they don't make the one choice the one choice for job for, for partner for church it's like make a choice choose you this day who you will serve and all other choices Line up. All other choices make sense. I would not be here today if it wasn't for the choice I made to Sue. End of discussion. And we can map that out. And anybody who knows our story knows. I was not in Bethel without Sue. 20 odd years after I chose Sue, I get to Bethel. Why am I in Bethel? Because I chose Sue. Why am I in ministry? Because I chose Sue. Why do I preach in stadiums? Because I chose Sue. It was absolutely true. I know that sounds like almost heretical, but it isn't it's because the, the, the relationship, husband and wife, that primary relationship on earth, I mean, it is, it is the choice second only to the choice for him. But choose you this day. If you're struggling with this, if choice anxiety is your problem, there are people in here and you can do anything. You are so clever, you can do anything. But, but you've settled for less because you're afraid of making the wrong choice. I want to invite you to stand. Any of the choice peace. any choice anxiety, stand up. And grab this moment. I'm hoping I can steal a few minutes of ministry time. Will I be all right for that? Because there's a big number at the back. It's like, (laughs) choose you this day. Who you will serve. Choose a choice that says yes. A choice that's so loud that that yes has drowned a thousand no's. Drowned. Drowned in a sea of paralysis, a thousand knows because choice anxiety leads to paralysis. You feel stuck, but it ends today. There's breakthrough. There's steps into careers, into job opportunities, because that's what he does. And I look at my life, I think, I heard a call. I wouldn't call it that today, but at 17 years old, I heard a call. I ask for advice about what I do with a call. Go and get some experience working with people. I work as a nurse. I work as a prison officer. I work as a prison governor. And all of that way through, I can trace it almost back to one career choice. One career choice about how I would approach every job that I ever did. One choice. I made choices that determined the rest of my life, the rest of my career. So Father, I pray that you would end paralysis today. People who are afraid of making the wrong choice, I pray that they would go away laughing at the lie that I can make the wrong choice when I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a lie. You can't. He's for you, not against you. So I cancel the assignment that paralyzes the sons and daughters of the king and I release today the declaration, on this day, I chose, I chose you. And all other choices will come into submission to that one choice. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And you'll know the verse, for loss of purpose. We, we quote it all the time. But do we really, really I have plans for you, says the Lord. This is to Jeremiah. I have plans for you, says the Lord. Plans to bring you a hope and a future, not for calamity. Do you know where Jeremiah got that word from the Lord? What was happening in his life at that time? They were in captivity. They were in captivity. That's where the word was released. Don't, don't question the word of the Lord because your circumstances aren't all happy and shiny and polished and perfect that's where he speaks in you don't need hope when you won the lottery you need it in the wilderness that's where you need it and that's where you get it you get hope in the wilderness you don't need faith when you've seen a thousand blind eyes open you need faith at the first one you're praying for and you shouldn't need love on your honeymoon night you need it in the presence of your enemies the great truths of the Christian faith are found in the wilderness. That's where they're found. They're found when you're up against the impossible and they are found when you're in the presence of your enemies, not in the presence of your lover. It's the principle. So when God said to Jeremiah, I have plans for you, plans for you to have a hope and a future, he spoke into a place of captivity. And if that loss of purpose is you if you're struggling with that and alongside this you can stand up at the same time that you have suicidal thoughts you've self-harmed you you have night terrors you have any of that stuff going on stand at the same time because I just want to pray for that to end at the same time as a release of purpose that's you I want you to stand that loss of purpose Make it your declaration. Make it your personal declaration that He has plans for me. He has plans for me. Plans for me to prosper. Plans for me to have a hope and a future. Plans not for calamity, plans for victory, for breakthrough. He's planned for me. He's planned for me. You know Psalm 126? We were like those who dreamed when the Lord restored everything stolen because of captivity. Do you know when they dreamed? In captivity. Dare to dream right now. Dare to dream in a place where you think, I don't have purpose. Dare to dream now. And one day you'll pinch yourself and you'll go, am I still dreaming? Am I still dreaming? Because that's what that psalm means. So Father, I pray, release purpose right now. May this be a defining moment of purpose, of the release of purpose. And the release of a personal declaration that says, he has plans for me. He has plans for me. Plans for me. Personal plans. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. And FOMO. FOMO, it really is causing people to live a lie. You check people's social media accounts. I've yet to find one that says, here's a picture of my wife and I after we threw pies at each other in a big row that we just had. (laughs) Anyone anyone see it? I don't recommend it, but but we are presenting a sanitized world. We're, We're presenting images to the world, and it's tough, isn't it? There's always someone who's just bought a nicer house, had a better vacation than you've just had, has a better job than you've done. All of that stuff. They look like they're raising their kids perfectly. Don't their kids look beautiful there on social media? Much better than mine, except that's not true in my case. But, <laughs> or, you know, somebody's, you know, to be honest, even, you know, I mean, those of us that have been married a few years, you know, when we got married, I mean, there wasn't quite so much attention played played to all of the trimmings of marriages now I mean you know it's incredible isn't it you know what goes on or all about engagements you know I mean my wife wouldn't have wanted it but it seems like nearly everyone gets a hot air balloon and takes their wife up you know above the Alps and promote proposes in the in the sunset you know with with a bottle of champagne and and some nice truffles and caviar or something you know it's like don't even ask how we proposed you know I'm not you know there were no details in there but that's our world and so people end up living a lie because of the fear of missing out and I have prayed many times I may even have prayed I think I have I think I prayed this for you once I think I did but I prayed this a lot of times I prayed this prayer answer the don't pass me by prayer of their life answer that prayer You see, it comes from the story where where Jesus is going into town and the blind guy goes, son of David, don't pass me by. Son of David, don't pass me by. Jesus says, bring him over. Bring him over to me. They bring the blind man to Jesus and Jesus asks the question, what can I do for you? Which seems like it should have been obvious. But Sometimes we have to tell Jesus the obvious about what he can do for us. Sometimes we have to articulate it. Sometimes we have to say it. But he answers the don't pass me by prayers. That's who he is. In other words, he answers the fear of missing out prayers. He answers those. If in any way that's you, I want to invite you to stand. If you're afraid of missing out, if it feels like everyone else's life looks so much better than yours, for some of you, it might be causing you even to live a lie, even to present things. I do know several people at the moment, I look at them and think, oh, please stop it. Your problem is actually that you're living a lie. Uh, honestly, I, I know at least one person where I, I, I follow them and I'm like, oh, please, please stop living a lie. It's actually destroying you on the inside. It's actually the root of most of your problems. If you could just be you, if you could just be real, if you could just show up as you, you could you could help a lot of people. So Father, I'm asking you to release faith today that you will answer the don't pass me by prayer of everyone standing. Everyone standing. Answer the don't pass me by prayer. I speak hope into circumstances that seem hopeless. Speak life light, revelation and for some of you there's a boldness that needs to be released in you to live as who he made you to be to live that person it's all linked to whole things about shame and comparison we're afraid if we showed up people wouldn't like us I can tell you this people would like the real you a whole lot more than the fake you they really, it's the truth And end that fear today, the fear of missing out in Jesus' name. And let's all stand. We live in the greatest moment in history, and it's ours. It's a gift to us. This moment in history, it's a gift to us. Wake up. Wake up. And we see it. We're seeing some shaking. We're seeing shakings in in government. We're seeing shakings in, in standing for moral truth. We're seeing it. Wake up. But the more important wake up is to wake up to the one whose name is Jesus. For Jesus is the answer. He really is. He is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. And I just want to close with this. I, I, I think there's always people in every meeting who either don't yet know Jesus or who need to completely sell out to him and if there's anyone in that category if there's anyone here and it's like as I've been speaking you've been thinking oh it's I'm a bit lukewarm in my relationship with Jesus I, I come along to church but that's about all I want to I want to invite you to come to the front if that's you if today is a day to sell out completely for Jesus I want to invite you to come to the front And alongside of those people, if there's anyone here today, and you have never said yes to Jesus Christ for the very first time in your life, you've never realized that Jesus died on the cross for you personally. Personally, by name, knew you by name, before the foundation of the earth, knew you by name, that somehow you found yourself in this tent in the middle of Atlanta, Georgia, and you're here today, and you're here in this Guy talking about one whose name is Jesus. Jesus really is the answer. He's the answer to every personal circumstance of your life. There is none like him. And I have had two main careers other than this one. My first career, my favorite day, was when I walked into the side room where a relative of a man was. And he had been brought in dead. And I got to resuscitate him and I got to go into the side room and tell his wife, your husband isn't dead but alive. And That's the message of the gospel, to tell you, you don't have to be dead, but you can be alive. You don't have to feel dead in this life or be dead in the life to come. You can be alive in Jesus. And my second career was this. I ran prisons for a living. And one day I got to tell a young man, a young man who so wanted to go home for his son's sixth birthday party, a young man who was in prison dying of AIDS, and I got him released on the, what is called the royal prerogative of mercy. I petitioned literally Her Majesty the Queen and, and it's, the document was signed by her and I got to walk into his cell one afternoon and say, you're not a prisoner anymore but you're a free man. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be in prison. You don't have to be dead. You can be free and you can be alive. Is anyone here today and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ for the first time? then I'll invite you just to raise your hand. If there's anyone in here and you've never said yes to Jesus and you can enter into a worldwide family, but not only that, into this family, this local beautiful family of people who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, who've said yes to Jesus. Is there anyone here before I absolutely close? Well, let me go back to that first. Is there anyone and you are listening to me and you're thinking, I need to sell out today. I need it to be all Jesus. Jesus. Is there anyone here? Or are you just all so fired up in Bethel, Atlanta, that there's nothing that any visiting speaker can do to put any more fire in you? Then that's good because it's a great place. Well, Father, I pray. And I do. I want to take the words out of Zechariah and I want to say, we're looking forward to the foundation being laid. We're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to the foundation being laid. We're looking forward to the building going up. We're looking forward to, as it were, the plumb line being held. But Father, we're also so grateful for the foundation that's laid in the Spirit. The foundation that you have laid in this house in the Spirit. The foundation laid by the mums and dads who poured into this house. And we're excited to see the plumb line being held up. We're excited to see the building go up. We're excited to see truth, assignment, relationship, and power demonstrated in this place. We're excited, and we're trusting you, and I pray that everyone in this room will know how to take their place in what you're doing right now. Wake up, church. Wake up. Wake up to the name of Jesus. Wake up to the needs of the world. Wake up, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, and he is pouring out. The fresh oil, the fresh anointing for such a time as this. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.